Support for the Game Podcast is brought to you by StarCityGames.com, the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies, and home for the best strategy content on the web. If you would like to support the Game Podcast, feel free to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the G-A-M podcast. Welcome to episode 125 of the Game Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Thompson. Here with me, as always, is Brian, the folk of On Hava Gottlieb. <laughs> is this not one you know, you're saying? This isn't one you have in your trade binder ready to go? No, no, it is not. Well, this is, of course, a classic Homelands card, and I chose the folk of On Hava as my name today because they are a people with a particularly close relationship to the Autumn Willow, for those of you who know your Homeland's <laughs> lore inside and out. And uh, I, I was a big fan of Autumn Willow back in the day, but now we have my new favorite Autumn on the podcast with us today. Of course, Autumn Burchette here to chat with us. Very excited to have you, Autumn. It's great to be on. Random fun fact, by the way, a year before I started Magic, I almost made my middle name Willow independent of Magic completely. Well, that would have been serendipitous for sure. Yep. <laughs> Some level of regret on not following through with that. <laughs> you, you can always change it. That's mm-hmm. true. Well, first of all, Autumn, thank you for coming on. Uh, it is an absolute pleasure to have you, and congrats on all the recent success and everything. It it, it feels like basically every other week you would be winning a tournament or something. Uh, so you know we've we've been giving you a lot of congratulations as of late. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I've also really appreciate, like, I've, I'm a regular listener to the podcast, and I've definitely really appreciated the extent to which it's felt like you've been an advocate of me. It's meant a lot. Well, I, I think we just try to find good people in the community who are very positive and are worth advocating for. So, I mean, really, we should be thanking you because you do have a very positive impact on the community. And, you know, we we would like to just notice and appreciate that. Thank you. That means a lot. Yeah, it's been a, a true pleasure to see your success over the... I, I mean, it's extended now. You've been winning for quite a while, but especially the intense success of the last few months, uh, it feels very much well-deserved. And I made the comment after you won the Mythic Championship that I have a feeling you've probably secretly been one of the best Magic players in the world for a while now. And the secret is now out. It is very clear you belong in that pantheon of very talented Magic players. Does it feel that way to you? Do you feel like you belong to be included with the, you know, the LSVs, the Jerry Thompsons of the world? Are you still kind of getting used to that role? It's still a bit new to me. I, I don't feel like I'm quite there yet, I guess. For like the last several months, I felt like I was probably in like the lower end of the top couple hundred or something. But okay. the the concept that I could be anywhere near that high up as you describe is something I kind of still almost don't quite buy into, though I would very much like to be there one day. Well, look look at the the top eight matches from MC Cleveland. Like you you played super well, and it's it's not just one of those things where like oh you won the tournament so obviously you played well. But like there were so many people, like you know the people that you would put at like the the tippy top of the players on the PT and everything, and they were commenting about how well you were playing. Like, and I don't think that that's abnormal or anything either. Like, you are great. <laughs> Thank you. Maybe one day I will realize that. That would be nice. I have another podcast. I have another podcast I can send you to, the Head Games Podcast, and our (laughs) particular our episode about imposter syndrome, where we all have these moments where we feel like, you know, we don't deserve our achievements and maybe haven't entered that pantheon yet. But I assure you, you definitely belong to be mentioned among the best players in the game. After watching that top eight, it was so beautifully played. uh, and so many things where I'm like I'm sitting there watching and I'm like, I don't know if I would have 
even been in this game. Like I wouldn't even have been in sniffing distance of winning this game. And it's not like I was a new player to the mono blue archetype. We did a whole show on it. I've been playing it pretty obsessively leading up to the mythic championship, but still your play was just on an absolute another level. Really impressive stuff. Thank you. Uh, I think it's partially like imposter syndrome stuff, which I think is like a really understandable response to have that sort of situation. I think it's also partially I'm very afraid of becoming complacent. I never want to like reach the point where I'm taking things for granted and just like assuming I'm going to win things, I guess. There's, there's definitely an element of that in it that makes me afraid to, you know, rank myself particularly highly or anything. Yeah, that makes sense. Obviously, you don't want to get into a position where you're like, yep, I'm great. I don't need to practice anymore or whatever. Or I have learned everything that I can because that's not particularly helpful. And even even though we are showering you with praise and saying that you are great and trying to get that through to you, I mean, obviously, I, I still have a lot to learn. You still have a lot to learn. Like, I, I'm sure we both realize that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, Mythic Championship winner. Very first one. You're going to have that for forever. There was also uh, an article on Forbes that came out that did a very nice interview with you, I thought. But I I don't think people know actually that much about you. And I was just kind of wondering, like, you know, what your story was, how you got here, how you got into magic and and why this is a thing that you do, basically. All right. So I guess starting from the very beginning, when I was growing up, I was always like very geeky, didn't like necessarily have that many friends or anything. I also struggled to really find my place in the world in a bunch of ways. I was like very intelligent at school and had great grades, but beyond that, I'd never really felt like I had something that clicked with me. That's something that kind of hit me really hard when I moved on to doing university was like, my degree definitely didn't click with me. It felt like I had like all this potential, but nothing to channel it into that felt right for me. Shortly after coming out as trans and becoming more comfortable with myself, I gained a lot more in the way of friends and that element of my life kind of flourished a lot more, but I still didn't really have like a calling that clicked with me which was a cause of a lot of depression. Around about that time, shortly after I came out, someone I was dating at the time, who's now one of my closest friends, introduced me to magic. So we would play card games and board games just all the time. It was great. And he'd introduce me to all sorts of different games. And I was always kind of like nervous about learning magic and put it off for a while because... I was aware I both have an obsessive streak where if I find something I like, you know, the the first few months, it's just all I want to do. I was also nervous from the perspective that my obsessive streak is kind of short-lived. So every hobby I kind of picked up until then, I would play for like two or three, three months or learn for two or three months or whatever, and then would lose all interest. It was like I'd kind of kind of got as far far as I cared to. I wanted to find something new and something that stimulated me in a different way. That's obviously like a really scary habit to have when you come to learning something like magic because the cost of entry is pretty high, relatively speaking. And there's the fear that, you know, I'd get three months in and then look at all these cards I bought and not have a use for them anymore. For some reason, magic never went that way with me. It just clicked. It was like the first thing in my life that, clicked with how my brain wanted to work and it was also the first interest I had where I didn't just lose interest after a few months. I credit that partially to the fact it clicked to me with me to such a great extent and partially to it I say this a lot but magic is so ever-changing that it's really hard to lose interest in it both because there are always new sets coming out that are changing things but also like there are so many different formats you have to learn if you want to like have a variety of like different competitive success in different areas and so many different skills you have to learn, there's really just this feeling that you will never run out of stuff to do and stuff to explore. 
and different directions to take things in. And that's really exciting to me. So that's like a big part of how things started. I got into the game like relatively quickly for someone who wasn't intending to be a competitive player. Probably about two weeks after we were sat down playing with starter decks, I was at FNM for the first time playing a Turbofog deck that Mike had lent me <laughs> <laughs> with like that would kill people with Otherworld Atlas and stuff. And then probably within like say six months, maybe even less than that, I was going to my first GPTs and PTQs. And the intention at the time wasn't to like qualify for anything. It was just I enjoy playing this game and I kind of feel like my learning's a bit limited at FNMs, so let's go do these other things too where I'm going to play against even better players and I can learn even more in those environments. And kind of all through those first like two or three years, I just never really intended to qualify for the Pro Tour as such. I just wanted to keep going to tournaments and keep learning and keep experiencing and keep growing as a player. And then my second RPTQ or whatever, I found myself suddenly qualified and it felt so out of the blue because it wasn't something I was even aiming for at the time in a lot of ways. So with with the goal of learning and, and getting better, like what was the end goal from there? I mean, I know that magic is basically bottomless, you know, like you can continually try and learn and learn and learn. But did you think about what the end game was with this or like how long you were going to stick with it? Did this already feel like a lifetime thing to you or what? For a large portion of that time, I was struggling with some pretty bad depression, which thankfully has largely disappeared over the last nine or so months for various different reasons. And I was kind of using magic as an escape more than anything. And I'm not sure I necessarily had an end game. It was just, this is the thing I enjoy the most. It's the thing that lets me, you know, get out of my head the most and get away from like all these negative thoughts. It's the thing that's getting me out of the house, interacting with a bunch of like cool, accepting people who enjoy my company. That was kind of the driving motivator. It's like when you're, when you're depressed, you don't really necessarily even have an end game. You just need something to keep you going. And that's a large part of what magic did for me for quite a while. I will say after like my first big result, I definitely felt a lot more pressure to try and have an end game. And that had a lot, very negative impact on me for quite a while. I I don't think I'm someone who necessarily benefits from having, you know, okay, my next goal is I must qualify for the pro tour. My next goal is I must top eight a pro tour etc. Mythic Championship, whatever. I don't think I'm someone who benefits from that sort of approach. I think it puts a lot of stress on me, and it also creates an environment where, like, instead of focusing on improving, I'm focusing on meeting this benchmark. I just don't think that's as good an environment for me, and I know it's a better environment for some people. Like, I do have a very good friend who hears me talk about the fact that I never picture myself winning the tournament or whatever. And she says that she needs that image in her head in order to be able to focus and want to achieve and play her best. And that's just not whatever worked for me. So there's not really been an end game as such. Yeah, I, I can relate a lot to that. And I mean, you listen to the podcast. I'm sure you've heard me preach this enough that it's more about the journey than the destination type of thing. And I don't know if it is uh, like better or worse for people to, you know, think of things in terms of goals or whatever, if it varies for each person, but I definitely agree with you. I think that it helps me a lot, mostly just to focus on getting better. And the second I start trying to like, you know, set these goals and like put a bunch of pressure on myself and everything, that's, that's when it starts going poorly. I would also note too that your description of your learning process immediately calls to mind when we had Javier Dominguez on a few months ago, and he described exactly the same thing you are describing 
in regards to his relationship with magic, just a desire to get better, to learn, see what comes next and not plan what comes next and just allow growth as a magic player to kind of be the guiding light. So this feels a lot like a recipe to success and so much of your your kind of relationship with magic that you described really hit home for me and exactly the same thing where nothing ever caught my interest and I would go intense in hobbies and then they'd be gone a month later and just over and over repeating this pattern throughout my life. And there is something special about magic where for whatever reason, people like you and I, we are captured by this game and uh, not released for a very long time. I'm going on you know, 20 plus years at this point. So it's it's pretty incredible how much it just grabs a hold of us and keeps us playing for all that time. And for all the reasons you listed, a constantly evolving game, constant challenges. Also, of course, the the people around the game, a huge part of it as well. So you, you talked about winning that RPTQ and qualifying for your first Pro Tour. Which one was that? That was Pro Tour Battle for Zendika in Milwaukee. Okay, yeah. So th- you got 11th at that tournament, correct? I did, which was shocking to me. <laughs> <laughs> so you went uh, 9-1 and Constructed, playing the green-white morph deck, right? Mm-hmm. Although my list was a bit strange. <laughs> well, I, I I don't know. I think that's that's kind of normal. I do think that a lot of the time your decks end up being like, you know, maybe five cards different than a lot of people. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think that mm-hmm. your brain likely just works differently than than other people's, you know. And I, I think that's like super valuable to have for someone who's a magic player. You had Archangel of Tithes in your deck, right? That was the big differentiating point. Yeah, the big differentiating point was I was playing zero Gideon Ally of Zendika and four Archangel right. of Tithes. Right. So BFZ was my last pro tour, and I was 100% a believer in Archangel of Tithes and tested that card to death and just couldn't make anything work with it. So interesting that that caught your eye as well. Yeah, a big part of my thought process at the time, obviously this is years ago, so I'm not sure if it holds up, but I felt like Green-White Megamorph was very good at playing from ahead and very bad at playing from behind, and Gideon is a card that is very good at like closes the door completely when you're ahead but when you're behind can almost feel like he has no text a lot of the time whereas archangel of tithes doesn't lose you that much of the ability to punish people when you're ahead but gives you so much ability to actually catch up which is what i felt like the deck really lacked when i was playing it i mean it's it's stuff like that where i mean we had a team for for that pt and it was, you know, me, Brad Nelson, Seth Manfield, Michael Majors, and we, we played like the SCG Open in Indianapolis a couple weeks before the tournament, and Majors got, I think, second or something with the green-white deck, and I think that's kind of what popularized it or whatever, but we were working on that deck a lot, and basically, those things never really came up. Like, we never really talked about that. We never even considered cutting Gideon. It was like, you know, this is the best card by far, obviously you play four, blah, blah, blah. And I think that that's really dangerous. And to hear you talk about it like that, where, you know, you're going in different places that these like quote unquote seasoned pros or whatever are, are not doing. It is no surprise that you qualified and also finished well in that tournament, went nine, one and constructed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I know JD and Comparins, who's a very good friend of mine has said that, one of the things she started strongly associating with me is that I'm very willing to just cut sacred cows from decks without really worrying too much about it. I, I played a Tron list back in like September of last year at a GP and went 11 and 4 with it and only played one Khan Liberated and felt like at the time that was just like the correct way to build it. And loads of people thought I was just being completely crazy. But it kind of made sense in the context of like exactly the the exact situation where that format was in to me. I think people get very attached to building their decks the same way everyone else is building them. Tron specifically is this deck that, you know, people talk about like, oh, turn three Karn, like that is their draw, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I remember, uh, I, I both remember that and also uh in preparation for this i was kind of like going back through your twitter timeline and remembered seeing that 
And I, I noticed that you said that you probably like punted the matches that you lost on day one or whatever. So it's like, yeah, you, it's possible for that weekend. Like you actually just broke it and it was the right way to go about things and build it and kind of just like fell under the radar too, because it, it was basically just like a tweet from you or a couple tweets from you about the mm-hmm. deck and everything. And yeah, kind of, kind of crazy that like you have those weekends and those moments where if you're not doing a bunch of self-promotion or you're not writing a bunch of articles or whatever, like there, there is this technology that exists that just ends up disappearing because, you know, it doesn't catch on for one reason or another. So Autumn, in the aftermath of this pro tour success, do you find people to be more accepting when you propose these kind of off the wall ideas? Cause I know that's part of the issue with magic players and part of the reason why we do have this inertia behind deck building is that it can be really challenging to get people to stop and think about sacred cows and think about things on a macro level, which when I hear you talk about your deck building process, those things sound like very macro decisions. You're not saying this card is good, but this card is better. You're saying this format is such, therefore I need this tool as opposed to this tool. And I think that's something that even seasoned deck builders lack a lot of the times. It's more about card evaluation than clearer, broad goals. So are you finding people to be more willing to listen to your way of thinking now that you have this this trophy to point to to have your back? Honestly, I've not done a huge amount of preparation with other people since the MC. Okay, I was kind of out of commission for a few weeks due to recovering from some fairly major surgery. And then there was the preparation for the invitational. But the only person I actually worked with for that was Nassif, which was delightful. Working with him was great. But it wasn't like I was working with a bunch of people who I felt like I had to like prove myself to because he's someone who I've already interacted with a bunch. And I know that he respects my opinions already and would respect my opinions even if I didn't have the trophy. So I haven't really found myself in that position yet. It'll be interesting to see. Because I I do feel like, you know, with with clout and everything, it does change the way like people view you and perceive you and listen to you and everything. So maybe something to to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Uh, so first pro tour, you get 11th place. You've you've put up good results since then. But I think certainly like within the last year, it, it seems like you just don't even really have a bad weekend. But I would say that you were kind of quiet in between then and now, and you talked about the whole, like, setting goals thing. And, like, what what was your mindset around then? Like, did you, you, you top 16 this Pro Tour, you qualify for the next one at this point? Are you trying to, like, hit gold and make Magic your main thing? Or what was going on with you? It kind of came out of, no, like, to on a personal level, it came out of nowhere that I came 11th at that pro tour because i was entering it with like a kind of very relaxed attitude my attitude entering that pro tour was i'm gonna choose this deck two weeks before the pt i don't know if it's gonna be the correct choice in two weeks time but i know i will get two weeks to practice with it and tune it and learn it and then i'm gonna go there if i day two i will be really happy even if i don't i got to you know go out to a different country and and see the world a bit which is very exciting, and I kind of just didn't really put much pressure on myself at all, and it came as a huge surprise that I did so well. And the big difference following that tournament was I put a huge amount of pressure on myself for about probably close to a year following it. I was obviously bombarded with you know support and love and positivity following the PT, but I'd also never really experienced that before, And I felt like because I was receiving that, I had to keep living up to it and had to, you know, keep making people proud and happy and keep achieving things. Also, in addition, on the back of that Pro Tour, I hit silver. So suddenly there's the shot at me trying to hit gold and being able to actually make a living for myself when up until that point, I didn't really have much in the way of career prospects. Like I dropped out of university and was kind of struggling in that sort of area. And because of all of this, I just put a huge amount of pressure on myself. I was like, okay, 
I'm going to go to all these GPs, even if it's somewhere I'm going to find exhausting to travel to, or it's on a weekend where I just don't feel capable of doing it. I'm going to start testing with teams for these pro tours rather than figuring out what feels right to me. And I'm going to start putting all this pressure on myself to achieve things. For me, I think the very natural result of putting pressure on myself in that way is I just don't achieve much of anything. I I don't have the same level of focus. I'm not able to trust my instincts in the same way in leading up to a tournament because they're so clouded by everything that's going on. I really struggled for those several months, both in terms of results and in terms of just not enjoying myself as much which led to a pretty big gap. I, I like did, basically didn't play hardly any competitive magic for like close to a year at one point. Just needed to back away from the game. Like Still play it, played it a ton casually and at FNM and stuff, but the intensity of the pressure and the effect it had on me really was a lot for me to deal with. Was that a, like a sudden realization or a gradual one? I think it was like a mix of both. Like it was a gradual realization, but like it, it kind of reached this point where it actually hit me. So like I was kind of starting to become more and more aware of what was going on, but then suddenly it was just too much and I just had to had to back away. So then you end up taking this break and you're you're still playing magic and everything, but like what then brought you back? I had a brief string of like getting back into magic competitively after I qualified for Pro Tour Ether Revolt, I believe, which I did not do very well at, but I decided to just, you know, try and go to a few GPs and see what I could do. Eventually got to the point where I still didn't feel quite ready for it, and I was really enjoying being able to, you know, go and hang out with my friends at GPs, but I still didn't feel like I was quite there mentally for the game. So I had a break, and then one weekend, I, I've been playing some Team or Energy online fairly shortly after Evilworks Marvel was banned. And a friend of mine messages me and says, hey, there's this PPTQ this weekend. If you want to come hang out with us, I can just lend you a copy of this deck you've been playing. I, I kind of think to myself, well, I'm not really looking to qualify again right about now. But it would be nice to, you know, go see Nick and Hannah and Neil and Sancha again, hang out with people. So I decided to go along and borrow Team or Energy and end up very easily top eighting in this like, you know, 50 person PPTQ or whatever. I decided that I both enjoyed hanging out with my friends a ton and also was enjoying playing some competitive games again. So I decide the next weekend to head to another PPTQ, which I end up winning. And like that, the bug was just sort of back. <laughs> and I'm sure at this point, like your attitude is a little bit better. It seems like you're focusing on, you know, the, the people and, and the good times and hanging out with folks rather than actually just winning. And then the winning ends up happening as a result. Yeah, absolutely. Like entering the MC, like I, I think to an extent, if you looked at, events surrounding the MC, you wouldn't expect me to have won it necessarily because, you know, the, the two or three days leading up to it, I did a little bit of practice. Like I wanted to test a couple sideboard strategies with Aaron, but mostly when I was spending time with Aaron a couple days beforehand, we would just, you know, go explore the city a bit, hang out in the room a bunch, go get some nice food. Neither of us were really sweating that much about the main event. You know, then my friends, then like Emma and Miranda arrive and we're just doing basically anything other than stressing about the upcoming tournament, just enjoying each other's company. I get the impression that isn't like a super normal scene, I guess, because I've been testing groups where it seems, feels like every single person is, you know, wants to use every moment available to them to get in every draft they can and test every sideboard strategy they can. And my attitude was very much okay, I've done a lot of this stuff whilst I'm at home preparing. I feel like I know the format. I'm just going to enjoy seeing my friends and let what happens happen. I think it's a really healthy attitude for me to take at least. Yeah, and I think there are a lot of diminishing returns on getting in like your 30th draft or whatever compared to just 
relaxing and being in a good mindset and everything. And certainly if you have, you know, like two or three days of fun leading up to the tournament, you're just going to be in a better place, a happier place. Mm -hmm. I agree completely. I've also had the experience too, where I worked with people who came from those super teams and the reason they left was just the thinking that, okay, this actually is not beneficial for my process. This much magic is not good for me. It doesn't work for me to be at my best at this tournament and I need to get out of that. Uh, so I don't think you're alone at all in wanting a more relaxed environment. And also there's something to be said for just recognizing when you've reached the point of competency. Like I always say, that's my goal in most instances is to get to a point of competency where I can then explore my edges and understand the format holistically. And competency isn't the same as mastery. And I think it's almost impossible to achieve mastery before a pro tour. Your goal in most cases should be competency and then figure out where you're going to get your edge from there. And, and people sleep on that a lot and they try to strive for this mastery. And it's there's just not enough hours in the day, honestly, leading up to these events. And you burn yourself out leading into them. At least I'm speaking from my own experience. I can't play 18 hours of magic a day for two weeks leading up to an event. I would be a zombie by the end of it, you know, crash and burn in the tournament spectacularly. So since you won MC Cleveland, how how have things changed? Like, is anything different in in your day to day? I mean, like I, I had this happen to me semi recently, and I think not a whole lot has changed, but I'm I'm curious to hear your take on it. Uh, some things have changed. Some things are kind of the same. I would say I feel a lot more visible. And personally, I enjoy attention. I enjoy having a platform to speak on. So I've been really happy with that. Like my stream has grown a bunch. My Discord community has grown a bunch. Uh, I would say from the perspective of like how I'm being seen by the community, it's actually kind of nice from the perspective that beforehand i felt like i was like if you looked at my twitch community it was primarily competitive magic players who recognized that i was good and had not necessarily you know the most common takes on the game and might present some interesting perspectives on things and then it would be like secondarily you'd get like a collection of trans people who would come to my stream because they're happy to see another trans person who's visible and who's having success and is creating a positive space. It's actually been really nice to me from the perspective of since I won the MC, it feels like things have shifted a lot more in the second direction. It feels like a lot of trans people who didn't necessarily have that sort of representation as much as they'd have liked before have heard my name because of my victory and have come to become part of my community and i've really enjoyed that aspect of things that's definitely made me really happy in terms of like day-to-day -day, has it changed you know how i'm living my life not really the money is helped from from the perspective of there are people i care about a lot in the u.s who i do not get to see very much and I'm able to plan a couple trips now to go see people who I care about. But it's also kind of this attitude of you never know when your next big win is going to come and mostly just largely setting it aside and living my life as I was before. Do you, when you, when you take a moment and kind of reflect on how much your win has meant to the transgender community does it overwhelm you in some instances, like having you be able to be this visible person in the community and having so many people who now feel like there is a place for them to be a mythic championship champion? That's still very weird to say. I'll never get used <laughs> to that. <laughs> I'm just going to say pro tour champion instead. But but so many people are are truly inspired by your victory. That has to be so striking in your quiet moments when you're sitting back and reflecting on what this this whole crazy series of events has meant to you it absolutely overwhelms me it's kind of funny when i won the tournament i didn't actually cry which is somewhat uncharacteristic for me because i'm normally like a reasonably tearful person we went to dinner after the tournament and i can't remember whether it was teresa or zyla but one of them reaches across and shows me a tweet on their phone of 
a non-binary person saying that they are really happy that now when they go to their store, they'll be able to say my pronouns are they, them, like Autumn. And I just like burst into tears and was crying for about five minutes after reading that. <laughs> after, you know, not crying at all from winning the MC, reading that just broke me. <laughs> yeah, w- winning winning a tournament has to be no surprise to you at this point. But then when you get into the ramifications of it and stuff like that, I remember you said that you full-on ugly cried for five <laughs> minutes. Which made me very happy, but yeah, it it is huge. This is literally like history in the making. I don't know. I, I don't think that you necessarily need to accomplish anything else in the rest of your career. You know, like you, you've kind of done it already. You've opened the door for just a lot of change, I think. And I think it is really, really cool. Thank you. I really hope that that is the case. I would like it very much if... As a, as a result of all this, people are able to feel more comfortable and able to be more able to express themselves. And maybe we can see a shift in terms of more people outside, I guess, what is in magic circles considered the norm, seeing success. Yeah, that, that would not surprise me at all. And in the meantime, I know that you're going to be around. You're still going to be kicking ass and everything. So uh, it's it's only going to get you know more normalized in time, I think. And I think that should make it easier for everyone, which is mm-hmm. great. Yeah, so uh, streaming has been a thing that you've been doing regularly. And I was kind of curious as to, you know, what was the impetus behind starting streaming? So I've actually kind of started streaming two times. It's actually like a few more than that, but a few of those times were very short-lived, whereas there were two times where it felt like a very fleshed-out thing I wanted to put energy into. Uh, one of them was back after I started again, back after that PPTQ with Teamer Energy. Shortly after that, I started streaming because I had a summer break in my degree, that I was doing. So I had, you know, two or three months where I wasn't really doing very much, but I was playing a bunch of magic and I had already done like a tiny bit of streaming before and had pretty positive experiences with it. So I wanted to really put a lot more energy into that and see what I could make of it. So essentially for about two or three months, I did a lot of streaming. Uh, there was a lot of streaming surrounding my Nationals win, uh, first Nationals win as a result. Like Basically, all my testing was on stream running up to that tournament. The stream definitely grew quite a bit, and that was when I originally got affiliated, so all my oldest subs date back to then. I largely had to stop because I was wanting to focus on my degree again once it started up again, and it was just very hard for me to juggle both streaming and the degree which was a bit unfortunate for me from the perspective of I felt like streaming was really helping with my depression. It was giving me something to focus on and put time and energy into that I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the sense of community you can have with like your Twitch chat and the people who keep coming back and interacting with you over and over. I really enjoyed the fact that I was trying to grow something and improve at something. And losing that when I went back to focus on my degree was pretty sad for me as a result. I then, like, predictably, after having such a good response to streaming, returned to it again, basically over the last year or so. When I moved to my current place, I started streaming a tiny bit, sort of slowly increased it over the course of the months that followed. And then back in September, I suddenly didn't have to focus on my degree anymore. So decided, well, hey, I am having all this recent success in Magic tournaments. I've started being published on SCG. I feel like it would be very reasonable for me to try and do Magic full-time for several months and just see what happens. As a result, I decided in September or so to start basically full-time streaming, especially second time round. I've really fallen in love with it. I really just enjoy the sense of community a ton. I say very fortunate. 
it's a bit more complicated than that, but I am so grateful with the community that I have on my stream. It feels like the people who come to it are very positive and very loving. And it's just, I don't know. It, it makes me really happy having that sort of community around me, I guess, on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, shout out to the Knights of Autumn. <laughs> One of the great things about communities that I've found is that you often get out what you put in. So if you have a community surrounding you that's based on love and positivity, I am very sure, Autumn, that you are entirely to blame for that via your own love and positivity that you're putting out there. That's one of the truest lessons I've found as I've done more and more content creation is just like the the responses you get are the ones you are kind of engendering in people, the ones that you're encouraging them to take And uh, you deserve all the credit for sculpting a positive community around your stream. Thank you. That means a lot. You are not, as it happens, the first person to have said that to me about it. And every time I hear it, it means a lot to me that people look at it that way. I mean, I I just think it's true, right? Like, there's no way that you could be you know, like one of the negative streamers or whatever and end up with like this positive loving community, like that just wouldn't happen. Right. And mm-hmm. the, the inverse is true of that too. So I will also give you credit, but with, with like the MC win and now your platinum, you have a world's invite. You just played the mythic invitational. You're streaming a bunch. I assume this magic thing is probably going to stick for a while. I, I would say so. I'm hoping it can stick for a fair while, indeed. I am so happy about how everything has been working out. And between the growth I've had on my stream and the fact that I'm writing articles now, also the fact that it feels like there's just a lot more potential to make a living out of magic nowadays, I feel like it's actually realistic for me to be able to you know, keep a roof over my head from this. And that is very, very exciting to me. (laughs) Yeah, you just get to focus on doing what you love. And it's also then not predicated on tournament results, right? It's just you're you're making content and just playing magic, having fun and interacting with other humans. Like what what else could you possibly want? You know, exactly. Uh, So do you have any future plans for. Are, are you going to be streaming more? Do you have anything planned with like content or anything? Are you going to, do you think you you would ever start writing weekly for star city or anything like that? Or are you just kind of keep it basically the same as it is now until something else arises? I'm mostly looking to keep it basically the same. I'm looking to increase my streaming a bit, both from the perspective of I've simply not been able to stream much recently with traveling to tournaments and everything but also from the perspective of my living situations about to change slightly in a way that would just allow me to stream more. And I definitely enjoy it a lot and want to keep growing that. I can't imagine honestly ever writing weekly. I think that is something I would find very tough to do whilst trying to maintain a decent level of quality. But I've definitely been enjoying writing every other week intend to continue that for as long as Cedric lets me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if for whatever reason he doesn't let you, uh, I will yell at him or poison him or whatever it takes. (laughs) But yeah, I'm mostly at the moment just focused on trying to keep doing as I've been doing and see where that goes. Autumn, do you want to take a second and plug all of your stuff real quick? Give all your addresses and places that people can find you. I'm sure if they are listening to you on our show, they are of the informed magic community and probably already know where to get you. (laughs) But just in case, we'll cover all our bases. Of course. Uh, So I have a Twitter profile that's AutumnLilyMTG, Autumn L-I-L-Y, which is my handle for a lot of things, where you can find out about when I go live and about my various tournament results and I post lots of pictures when I'm traveling and stuff. You can find my Twitch profile, which is the most important one, at Autumn Lily MTG, which I'm currently trying to stream like most weekdays and like the occasional weekend day if I'm around and don't have much going on. I also have a Discord community, which is subscribers only for people who participate in my Twitch community. My Discord community is just 
wonderful, very supportive and loving and positive. I do have a YouTube channel, which is also under Autumn Lily MTG. I do not use it a huge amount. I try and upload some of my VODs there, so you can go back and watch content from like a few months ago. And I'm trying to get better at keeping on top of it, but it's definitely not, you know, kept on top as well as all my other things are. And finally, I'm currently one of the four main cast members on the podcast Proven Combatants, which is a podcast just from a bunch of, you know, different grinders of varying levels, talking about our tournaments that we've gone to recently, what we're doing, preparing for future ones. And it's all like fairly chilled out and relaxed, not like hyper spiky content, but I think it's pretty enjoyable. And that is, I believe, everything. <laughs> it's sometimes hard to keep track, right, with all the projects that you have going mm-hmm. on, finding exactly uh, what things you're supposed to be plugging in a given moment. I know people have asked me, like, oh, where can I find you? And I'm like, I don't even know anymore. Probably anywhere. Just throw a rock and you'll hit me. Mm-hmm. Oh, I should quickly mention, I also now write for StarCityGames.com, where you can find my articles every other Friday, which is pretty great. (laughs) Well, I'll try and make sure that all those links and stuff get posted in the description and everything. So if there is somehow a human that is listening to this and does not know where to find you, (laughs) they'll be able to do it. But uh, is is anything going to change with your testing process for like future MCs or if any sort of mythic invitational thing happens again or whatever, or you've, you've mostly just kind of been like soloing it, right? Yeah. Most tournaments I've been like finding one or two people to work with, but mostly working alone. So like after over the last few months, looking at major ones, like for PTGRN, I was almost exclusively working with Jadine we just like tested for four days together we were also like loosely working with aaron barrich but not nearly to the same level then for the the mci1 i was mostly working alone but i was also working a bit with aaron barrich and a teammate of mine george channing and then of course the invitation i was just working with gab nasif and i definitely prefer smaller groups i i've really disliked my experiences working on larger groups i don't think that's necessarily completely due to the nature of larger groups i think it's just like situations being badly handled but i've definitely felt like when i work in larger testing groups i feel like a lot of information gets lost and i feel like a lot of information that isn't lost is poorly communicated among people in ways that ends up muddying muddying it I also feel like you lose a lot from not being, not knowing everyone on the team very well. So when I'm working, when I was working with Jade back when I could work with her before she went to Watsi, I knew how to interpret everything she was saying about a card or a matchup or whatever, because I know her as a person and interacted with her a bunch and really enjoy her company. So I would know that like, I would know the lens to look through anything she was saying with. Whereas like when you're working with on a group of 10 people, you're not just not going to know everyone that well. And someone's going to say that like, Oh, this matchup is really lopsided in this way. Or, Oh, it feels like this is unsalvageable or this card seems like the thing we can use to break this. And you just don't know the lens to look through what they're saying with. You don't know how to actually interpret what they're saying, which I think is like pretty problematic because then you just end up either taking things that are being told to you for granted or not being able to listen to things other people are saying. And then you end up in situations where also everyone's like interpreting the information from the group as a whole differently because this person knows how, how to interpret what this other person is saying, but you don't know. I feel like wires just end up getting crossed a lot as a result on large in large groups. So I've really enjoyed just finding one or two people whose company I enjoy, who I can interact with and discuss things with and test with. And maybe I'm not getting the same level of data, but I'm finding the experience more enjoyable. And I also feel like 
the information I am getting is a lot more valuable as a result. Yeah, it's really interesting. I never even really thought about it that way where, you know, just knowing the person and understanding them makes it easier to get that information from them basically. And then, yeah, you work with the people that you don't know as well and you don't know like the entire scope of where they're coming from and everything. So that's very interesting. And you gave me something to think about. Awesome. (laughs) I I don't have to think about anything. I agree with you 100% autumn. And I, I have long said, I think magic teams are incredibly overrated to the process. There's probably realistically like one or two good teams in the world. And just a bunch of the other teams are comprised of great players and they benefit from their own skill and their own conclusions and are probably fighting against the teams in a lot of instances. So uh, I'm, I'm on board with this theory. I think more people would benefit from thinking about how they actually go about preparing for these large magic tournaments. Yeah, I was already of the awesome. opinion that teams kind of suck in general, but I, I think Autumn's point does a good job of illustrating that. Right. This is definitely very validating to hear someone share a very similar perspective on it to, to me. It's not really a perspective I feel like you hear very much. There's definitely a lot of emphasis nowadays on, you know, you must be on a big team and the people on big teams are at such a big advantage and so on and so forth. And I'm not, I'm not to say like whether it is an advantage or not, but I know for me personally, I've been very happy just working with a couple people who I trust and whose company I enjoy instead. Right. I think the most important thing to emphasize is it's not the only way. There's certainly other approaches that are valid. Yeah, mm-hmm. and for sure. The, the article that uh, Jadine wrote about the, the four days that you two spent testing together, and it was like how to get basically the most use out of a short amount of time, I think would be really valuable to someone who is either without a team or would prefer to work in a small group. I, I think you both just kind of knocked it out of the park with that one. Yeah, I think that art- that article is honestly just one of my favorite magical articles. It summarizes like so much about testing that I feel like you don't see talked about anywhere. Like, I feel like you don't even see articles about how to do effective testing very often. But I feel especially the approach that Jadine talks about in there, I've just never seen anyone talk about it in that way in a piece of magic content. I think it's really, really valuable. I would probably say that about so much of JD's content, every time I read it, it was just something like, no one else is saying this. This is groundbreaking stuff, except it happened every single week. And uh, I, I definitely mm-hmm. miss JD's articles a lot. They were on another level, to be sure. Sometimes I think when I'm writing my articles, I'm like, why am I even bothering doing this? If someone could be as good at this as JD <laughs> was, like, what am I even doing here? But uh, <laughs> I fight through that and still manage to put out content every week. But uh, I, I will say that. Jadine's contributions to the sphere are very, very much missed. I agree wholeheartedly with all of that. Same. And uh, you might have a better idea, Autumn, than I would, even though I guess I I live in Renton. But I I hope that she is doing good work at Wizards. From what I gather, she is enjoying things a lot there. Good. Glad to hear it. So uh, last question, last real question before I get into some fun quick hits questions do you think that anyone can do what you've accomplished as far as, you know, how far you've come in magic? That is challenging. I will say I definitely feel like a fair amount of what I've accomplished in terms of results. I am aware I have like a natural aptitude for this style of thing. Like I like games and trying to understand like logical systems and stuff. So, obviously, it's going to be a lot harder if you don't have those sorts of leanings. I think there are a lot of people who are not going to go and win a Mythic Championship. I think, however, there are a huge number of people who can try and learn to approach what they're trying to succeed in with the sort of attitudes that will allow them to flourish. I think that people... Like most people will be able to like come to a point where they're able to take on the attitude of focusing on improving and getting better rather than 
like having to achieve a certain end goal and that in that environment maybe they're able to grow a lot more i think that it's about a lot more than just winning a tournament and that the process you use to get there with whatever it is you're trying to achieve matters a lot and i think most people are able to find the right way to approach that process regardless of where it ends up leading them beautiful all right so quick hits questions uh i want i want basically like a one word answer for this no cheating oh my gosh okay all right so number one who is a bigger trans icon you or terramander (laughs) definitely terramander number two Will you be in the MPL next year? I would very much like to be. (laughs) Is that a yes or a no? I'm going to go with yes and be hopeful. Okay. Number three, what is your favorite card previewed so far out of War of the Spark? I'm really excited for Lidiana. Because it's it's good or it's sweet or what? Just, I'm really excited for the prospect of like black mid-range decks having that sort of power level at the top end. Hell yeah. All right, number four. What was the coolest single thing you saw at PAX? Uh, I didn't get to see Emma win the tournament. God damn. Yeah, that is brutal. <laughs> I did get to see Emma play in the Hat of Power, though, before I had to leave. Play play what? Play, play in the Hat of Power. Oh, okay. Aaron's hat. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. So I guess that's that's the, the worst thing or best thing that you didn't see that that's close enough (laughs) i think this is number five who is your favorite mpl player and i'm just gonna say not me (sighs) i i don't think it is me but you have to pick one can i open up a list a sec brief intermission yeah of course (laughs) These these are supposed to be quick but whatever you know all right i'm just way too picky about making sure the answer is correct i guess accuracy is important Okay, we, we, we have solved it, Huey. Not close. If, if I have to exclude you from the equation, sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, number six, would you play Lanwar Elves in the current builds of Standard Sultai? I'm not sure I would play the current builds of Standard Sultai. <laughs> Irrelevant. <laughs> uh, probably? I don't know. It would, be, it would upset me, but it's probably correct because of Krasis. Okay. Last one. Is signing out opt actually correct? <laughs> According to Jerry, no. <laughs> yeah, we, we talked about this at PAX a little bit, and it was it was an interesting conversation. I liked it. Maybe at some point we'll get into it. And then I have two more that are not so quick, so feel free to go into these as in as much or as little detail as you want. But why do you like land destruction so much? <laughs> How did you pick up on th- is it that obvious? Okay. I don't know. It, it speaks to me. I I actually, my first ever legacy deck I built was Mono Black Pox. Because there's okay. no, nothing as pure as Dark Ritualing out a sinkhole. <laughs> um, That's very well said. <laughs> my, my second ever legacy deck was Stacks. Because the only thing slightly less pure than Dark Ritualing out a sinkhole is casting Armageddon off Mox Diamonds. I don't know. I have you ever heard of the phrase? Marrow's used it before. Uh, griefer Timmy. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, there is definitely a fair amount of like griefer Tammy in me. I gain a strange kind of joy from casting stone rains or codex shredding my opponents so they don't ever get to draw what they want to. Or, you know, fill in the blank, basically. I'm not sure where it comes from, but there is something deeply satisfying about it to me. (laughs) Does does putting a Curious Obsession on a Terramander and then, like, using Dive Down also kind of fill that? It kind of does, honestly. Like, same as, like, Days into Wasteland kind of fulfills that, too. Luckily, both those strategies are a bit more competitive, but... Like, yeah. there, there is something about knowing your opponent is so frustrated that they're just not being allowed to play magic. But, 
like I, I typically regard myself as like a reasonably you know nice and kind person and stuff but I, i'm not sure where this comes from <laughs> <laughs> i mean it, it's it's all fun and games right so it's okay we'll go with that yeah yeah so the last one is what what is the story behind the substitute plushie the substitute plushie i i that was a gift from mason clark who is the technical producer for proven combatants uh he ended up buying a plushie for everyone on the podcast and handing them to us either via mail or in my case at gp atlanta the gp before pt grn and as i was carrying it about i was using it kind of like a little mascot over the weekend and found it kind of enjoyable having having snubby at the table as i call him and uh, simon nielsen who i'm a very big fan of and pretty good friend of enjoy his company a lot he walks up to me sees the substitute plushie in my hand and exclaims that it's Snubhorn Sentry. <laughs> did he never play Pokemon or anything? Like, did, did he actually not know, or was he just like, oh, that kind of looks like that? I, I'm not actually sure if he, he's never played Pokemon or not, but he definitely jumped very much on the train of it, it being a Snubhorn Sentry, because he is a very, very adoring fan of the card Snubhorn Sentry. Uh, to the card. extent that at that at that PT, the rest of his team played zero Snubhorn sentries in their white weenie deck. He put a single copy in just to honor the card. <laughs> which which makes me very that. happy. Yeah. What are the other plushies that the people on the podcast got? I can't actually remember off the top of my head. <laughs> that It was several months ago and only mentioned kind of in passing in regards to the other ones. But for some reason, my one just like because I had it with me, I just had it at the table with me all through the PT because I thought it'd be kind of fun. And then I did really well at that PT. So it's like, well, I guess you're never leaving the table. (laughs) Okay. And then uh, we can go into the question that we solicited uh, our wonderful discord members for unless Brian, do you have anything else for autumn? No, I think, uh, I just want to take one more chance to congratulate you, Automate. It's very clear that you have worked hard for your success. It's very well earned. I, I hope to see a lot more from you in the future. Many more tournament wins. I'll certainly be rooting for you. Uh, I said that I think your Pro Tour win was the most emotional I had ever been at seeing a Pro Tour win. And we're sitting here with my very, very close friend who I also watched win a pro tour. So I don't know what it said that it resonated with me so much, but it was a truly jaw dropping moment. And one that I think it will be remembered in magic history for a long time. And I'm super excited. You got to be part of it. Thank you. I appreciate that a lot. Okay. Uh, my question comes from, from Emma and Emma oh, asks, Oh my God. <laughs> what was your favorite hug that you received after your MC win? <laughs> I'm dying to know. Oh, you know, hugging like Mason was pretty great. Hugging, hugging Teresa was good too. I don't know, so many people. That tackle hug is maybe maybe my favorite moment in my life. It's pretty high up there. That I, is awesome. It's it was kind of like so. Obviously, I reached out to shake my opponent's hand, and doesn't like really hit you that you've actually won a mythic championship it doesn't actually feel like reality it's like you're waiting for you're waiting for something to wake you up and then and then the hug definitely woke me up and kind of made it all feel real i that is really cool also i just i care about emma a lot and love her a lot and having her there for that weekend meant a lot to me i felt much more able to focus and play my best and try my hardest and not get stressed or feel under pressure because I was surrounded with the love and support of the people who were with me that weekend. Uh, In particular, Aaron and Miranda and especially Emma having the three of them there meant a lot to me and 
Emma was Emma was there till the last moment. <laughs> well, and now uh, I th- she qualified for Barcelona, right? She did, which I I am very happy f- about for many different reasons. <laughs> yeah, so you, you get to have her again, but is is she going to come to London? I I don't believe she's coming to London. I think that one was a bit too hard to like set up. Luckily, I will have like a lot of friends around me for London, but it is going to be. It's going to feel like a bit of a different environment, I guess, compared to Cleveland. And I, I am very much looking forward to hanging out with Emma in Barcelona, though. It's going to be wonderful. Yay. All right, Autumn. Thank you so much. Congratulations again. You're great. Everyone should go watch Autumn stream and follow their Twitter channel and all that sort of good stuff. But Autumn, would you care to sign us out? <laughs> That's game. Good luck.